In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England's own Van Helsing. With me all the way from across the pond is Mr. Parascience himself, the great late... <laughs> what the hell is his late. name? Steve Parsons! <laughs> Hello, Ron. How's your voice? Oh, you know, it could be better. How the, how how uh, recovering then are we after last week's exertions? Yeah, not only that, I was on also on jury trial at the same time, so it was even worse. So uh, uh, I wasn't on trial; I was a juror. <laughs> Let me make that clear. <laughs> Did they get the chair? Uh, I got a chair. One of them. <laughs> Uh, you, you know what's interesting in the in the United States, Stephen? I don't know how it is in the UK, but um, we select uh, before the trial. We select fourteen jurors, and you sit through the whole trial, all fourteen of you. And then when it's time to do the verdict, they randomly draw two names out of the hat, and those two are taken away and sequestered from the the jury. They don't actually get to make any decisions. To be honest, Ron, I, I've no idea how our jury system works. I've never been um, really? called. So, no, I've never been called. I'm obviously not reliable enough to be one of the trusted 12. <laughs> well, you're in the same mold of Richard Felix, then. Uh, uh, thanks for that. I don't know if that... Was that a compliment? Oh, of course it was. <laughs> oh, okay, then. I actually found a, a photograph of Richard when he came over here oh, a few years back when we went to Gettysburg, and uh, yeah, it was it was interesting. Uh, but uh, I, I recently, I, I, I've been reading. It's really exciting. They they found your king, your long lost king. Yeah, well, yeah, they. Uh, the, we had a documentary last night about it, um, revealing the the process of finding him, and the archaeologists they. Um, they they got him literally, uh, you know, in the first hole they dug. Um, they said it was a fluke. Um, there was a lady who who claimed to have had a psychic sensation or premonition that he was buried underneath uh, a car park, a council car park, and really? incredibly, the spot underneath uh, which he was found um, by coincidence had the letter R painted on the ground above it. Um, but nonetheless, they did. They found King Richard III of England, uh, a man who was the victim of Tudor propaganda. 
um, and credited with uh, murdering the princes in the towers, uh, being a withered hunchback and a despot. Uh, history, um, we've subsequently learned, is not quite correct. He did have a, a deformity of the spine, mm -hmm. um, but he was considered by uh, his subjects to be a fair and just and honourable king uh, until, of course, Henry VII did for him at the Battle of Bosworth and the Tudors rewrote um, the history of, of the Plantagenet kings. Right. It's pretty... Uh I, mean, I, I find it fascinating, uh, of course, uh, from here. But anyways, our guest is on the line from your part of the, or your neck of the woods, as we say. In literally, States. literally. Really? Yeah, I, um, our, our guest tonight comes from exactly the same part of the country as, as I also hail from. Really? So anyways, without further ado, why don't we bring on uh, author Mr. Billy Roberts. Hi, Oops. Ron. Hi. Hi, how are you? I'm all the better for speaking to you, that's for sure. <laughs> hey, uh, so you guys are in the same neck of the woods, huh? Uh, uh, not now, not where, now we're not. Well, where, where from? Where, where do you live? Uh, I'm in Pembrokeshire now, Billy, but we're both originally from the world, aren't we? That, yeah, that's in Heswell. And I'm only from Bebbington. Oh, right, yeah, not, not too far away, but I'm actually living in Cornwall at the moment. Yeah, I, I escaped as well. I'm I'm just the other side of the uh, just the other side of the Seven Estuary in, in Pembrokeshire, West Wales. Oh yeah, beautiful beautiful part of the country, isn't it? Yeah, it's a bit remote. Maybe we've been a bit nearer. Earth, who's that? I have no clue. I think it was a ghost car. <laughs> You know, we, we I, I, I particular, and of course, Downton Abbey is huge over here in the States, and it's and the new season's out, and everybody's watching it, and, and I'm a big, uh, uh, you know, um, Midsummer's Murder fan, and also Inspector Lewis, and, and, I, and I watch these shows, and, and I see the, the countryside, and the, and the towns, and the, and the houses, and everything, and it's just, I mean, you guys are just so lucky, I mean, it's so gorgeous there. Yeah, I mean, where we're living at the moment in Cornwall, it's, it's steeped in history, and it's absolutely beautiful. You know, it's a, it's a new world altogether. Mm -hmm. So, Billy, you've been, on, you've been on the show before. I believe you were on with uh, when Richard Felix was with us. And Karen O'Keefe, yeah. Oh, my God, that is a while ago. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and um, you've written, uh, I went onto your website, which is, would you give out your website for us, please? It's www.billyroberts.co.uk. And you've got like five books that you're, that's really fascinating because one of them is called The Psychology of a Medium, which I find fascinating. I mean, I wish I had was able to get a copy prior to the show. I would uh, love to peruse it. But you want to tell us a, a little bit about, uh, well, first of all, would you introduce yourself to uh, the American public? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm a professional uh, stage medium. <clears throat> and an author, really. I'm, but I, I'm, I'm also regarded as a, a very skeptical medium. Um, I, I'm interested in the mechanics of mediumship, how it works and how it doesn't work. Uh, and this led me to write the book, Psychology of a Medium, which is all about the neurological changes um, that take place during the development of mediumship. Um, it's a sort of an expose, if you like, about mediumship. Well, one of the, the things I, I uh, 
suggest is that mediums who are not genuine can't travel because um, you take a medium who's, who's not really a medium to a different country or even a different part of his own country, uh, his mediumship doesn't work because the, the style of names and the lifestyles of people vary from town to town and from country to country. Um, I also talk in the book about, uh, well, I suggested that about 75% of male mediums are gay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's I'll get that. attention to that. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I mean, there are reasons for this. I mean, I, I was brought up in a very spiritualistic family. My mother was a medium. Mm -hmm. Her mother was a medium. Her mother was German. And my aunt was quite a famous medium in the 1930s. Her name was Louise Hampshire. <clears throat> and um, I, I was psychic as a child. But at the age of nine, I was sent to see a child psychologist because of the things I was saying to other kids and things I was saying to the teachers in school. And the psychologist concluded that um, I was very sensitive, I, was, I had a vivid imagination, and their prognosis was I would grow out of it. But of course I didn't. Um, my mother just rolled her eyes and lit a cigarette, and, and that was it because she knew I wouldn't grow out of it. But I always, from a very early age, wanted to know what was the difference between a person who had a propensity towards mediumship and the person who was oblivious to it. What makes one person have uh, paranormal experiences and other people very skeptical and have no experiences at all? Steve, and, this, is uh, right, this is right with what you're talking about too, Steve, right? This uh, is well, your, your well, mantra as well. Well, my area of speciality um, is purely related to the hauntings and the ghosts. I mean, Cal is, Cal is the one who deals with the psychology of, uh, more than me. Um, so maybe it's actually uh, an area for Cal to, to discuss. Well, maybe yeah, I mean, you mentioned um, the neuro, uh, neuro... Sorry, what? Oh, we have Cal. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, didn't, just, didn't you just get your ears ripped off? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Sorry, I thought you were trying to uh, speak to me while I was uh, kind of replying to that. Um, anyway, uh, Billy, you mentioned that you were interested in the neurological changes of um, a medium. I mean, what was that, yeah. when you wrote the book, was that based on actual research that you looked into in parapsychology, where they'd explored regions of the brain and psychic phenomena? Or do you just mean, rather than neurology, do you mean an actual personal transition when people actually start to take on their own abilities and they believe they have them and develop them? They make more of a life change, really, rather than natural. You know, you can see or um, experience a biological change. Well, I mean, I've researched this for, for, for many years now. And I've, I mean, I was, it made me very traumatic. It was very traumatic for me as a, as a child. <clears throat> and I don't believe that seeing dead people is, uh, is, is normal. I mean, there are changes that do occur in the brain. And more recently in America, they did autopsies on deceased um, people with um, mediumistic abilities <clears throat> and it was found that the pineal gland was quite enlarged with crystalline deposits around it but <clears throat> excuse me um, in 1903 um, a neuroscientist by the name of Ivan Tutinsky he was from Moscow University he became very interested in the, what, what made the brain function to allow children particularly to have paranormal experiences. And he, he believed, or he found out that 
the pineal gland was larger in a child than it is in an adult and more developed in a female than it is in the male. And he looked upon the pineal gland as a sort of radar device that enables the brain to monitor molecular changes. Now, although Tatinsky <laughs> uh, was not a man who believed in an afterlife, he did believe in the theory of the paranormal universe, and he believed that somehow some people were able to access it um, through these uh, changes that occur in the brain. Now, I, I experimented <coughs> with, with drugs when I was uh, younger. And I, I also believe that, I mean, a lot of the shamans used to take, they used to imbibe a, a herbal narcotic, uh, a mescaline or, or some hallucinogenic substance, and it activated certain areas of the brain, but enable them to communicate with their dead ancestors. So I think that the brain itself is a very complex organ, and I don't think we'll ever understand it. It just fascinates me. Well, I think from that, it's not necessarily something that um, kind of grows on people or suddenly develops. It's not really a change. It's something that's kind of always been there. Um, I mean, you get some mediums that say when they were young, when they were a child, they had strange experiences. But you've got kind of evidence from people like um, Scott Rogo and Alex Tannis that demonstrated that it's dormant within everyone, and anyone can um, potentially have psychic abilities. And this is why in parapsychology studies, we don't take mediums into the lab and actually test them for their own abilities, because that would just be a case-by-case -case basis. We take a general population and just see if we can actually find those within a general population who seem to be scoring on certain tasks higher than others, more than what chance would expect. Um, but you're absolutely right with the, the psychedelics. I mean, again, that's another example that anyone can take the psychedelic, the ayahuasca, the DMT, and they can actually unlock these hidden potentials within them. Um, there's a lot of other research within parapsychology, and the ones that you find more so that have come out of the Parapsychological Association, people have found links between the hypothalamus and the amygdala. Um, when mm -hmm. it comes to psychic phenomena, those regions of the brain seem to be active when we actually put people in the lab and test them um, for certain things like the Zenicard test, and we're trying to get them to perceive something. And then we can turn that into numbers and see how well they did against what chance would expect. Um, yeah. So, you know, did, is that how you actually kind of went about writing the book then, or is it kind of your own perception, your own experiences of just interacting with people throughout life, or did you, you know, go out and just well, sit down and look at all these different cases? Yeah, I mean, I've looked... <laughs> So I founded the Thought Workshop in Liverpool. It was the first centre for psychic and spiritual studies and alternative therapies in 1983. And we used to have psychologists and psychotherapists working there. We did all kinds of stuff there. And I'd always had an interest in the, the brain and how it works. And, you know, a lot of mediums are, are self, they're deluded because I, I've always believed that Mediums are born, they're not made. And although spiritualists say you can cultivate or develop mediumistic skills, I don't believe that's, that's right. I don't think that's the case. I think anybody, as you've just said, can cultivate the faculties to develop psychic abilities. But mediumship is quite specific, and it's quite rare, true mediumship. I mean, what, what we look at today on television, without mentioning any names, and a lot of other mediums, I, I mean... I recorded over a thousand mediums during my, my work, and uh, more recently, we've just finished filming a new television series called Living with Angels and Demons, which is going to be broadcast this year. And I worked with a, a psychologist and um, 
a Catholic priest. And the idea was to these people who claim to either be possessed or to have paranormal experiences was to assess them from a mediumistic point of view, from a psychologist's point of view, and also from the church's point of view, to see if they were deluded, if the experience was real, whether it was all in the mind or whether they were just um, fantasizing about the paranormal in some way. And the, the, the interesting point was we found a lot of the younger people, there were some um, females particularly under the age of 20, were, were quite genuine. We couldn't, uh, one of them was claimed to be possessed by a demonic force. And whatever was possessing them, they were able to speak in a foreign tongue. They were able to articulate what was going in their mind. They could hold a conversation and you could see clearly it wasn't them that was talking. It was quite frightening, really. Mm. And all the priests tried to exercise them. And as he did, he just got some derogatory remarks from the entity. And the psychologist didn't know what to do. And to be honest, neither did I. So I think we were dealing with, I think we're playing on an, in an emotional and psychological minefield with mediumship. When I first started working as a professional medium um, over 30 years ago, there were very few mediums doing theaters. There were very few of them around, but today they're in every theater, on every theater program, they're in every hotel. You'll see civic halls. There are mediums everywhere galore. And the con will be genuine. Um, and it's like that again with the, the paranormal issue. You know, it's, it's quite fashionable to be involved today in the paranormal. There are paranormal groups all over the UK, all over the, the States. And I know a lot of them. And a lot of them are quite, um, quite intelligent and have sophisticated equipment. But there's something, something intrinsically wrong in the paranormal. I don't know what it is. There are implications um, to being involved in the paranormal. It seems that a lot of intelligent people who are attracted to it, and also a lot of dysfunctional people, people with psychological problems. So there are dangers, I think, to being involved in the paranormal and the development of mediumship. I'm oh. intrigued now. Which which group do I come under? The psychologically damaged? Or... <laughs> <laughs> who, who am I talking to? It's Steve. Um... Oh, hey, Steve. I didn't recognize your voice. <laughs> Um, I'm also intrigued as uh, one thing that you and Cal seem to be overlooking is is also the the effects of, you know, just the world around us on on people as human beings, regardless of their um, abilities, uh, psychically or otherwise. And I remember uh, being involved quite closely with a, a mutual friend of ours, Billy Carl Fletcher. Um, oh yeah, yeah. And uh, we we were we were doing some in, uh, measurements of very low frequency sound uh, up at the shipyard up our, in Birkenhead, and we'd sent Carl around the building, and he detected areas of, uh, as he described it, dense uh, dense psychic energy, and uh, I think he said that there was um, a, a personality or or a, a presence there also. What was intriguing afterwards is when we compared Carl's walk around to our uh, sound measurements, these very low frequency sounds, they coincided exactly. And it was Carl who, who said, um, well, you know what, I'm just a human being and, you know, these things are affecting me. I'm just interpreting it because I, 
you know, because I believe, you know, I'm putting my own spin on it as a, as a medium. Yeah. Um, and that, that, that's always struck me as, as, you know, as a very, very sort of honest response that, you know, Carl was just a human being like, like the rest of us and was also yeah. being affected by these changes within the environment. But his interpretation of the, of the changes was, was, of course, skewed by his belief. But, you know, you know uh, um, Steve, uh, this brings me to the point, I mean, Carl was a very dear friend of, uh, of my wife and myself. Um, but the, I, I mentioned the psychological implications. And I, I mean, it's, it's common knowledge now to people who know Carl. He committed suicide. Right. Now, the, the, a lot of mediums actually terminate their own lives. I've known, there must be 10 mediums over, over the last 15 years I've known who've actually killed themselves. Wow. And I think, there were, I mean, Carl was a very, he was a gay guy, a gay man. And there was something always, I, I don't know whether he, he fought with depression all his life. I mean, he'd obviously been, been psychic for, since he was young. But I think there was something psychologically troubling him. And it always worried me about him. But he was very, very sensitive, as you know, Steve. Oh, absolutely. Um, he was able to home in very quickly. But it was I, always, uh, I, I had the pleasure of working with Carl. Um, he worked with our, with our group numerous occasions. I, you know, I, I, was, oh, I right. was always pleased to count Carl as a, as a close and dear friend. Yeah. Uh, and he was one of the, the very few psychics um, who I always felt comfortable working with because we could discuss our different perspectives on, on a situation. Um, yeah you know, completely honestly and openly. And, you know, he, he would fire challenging questions at me and he would take challenging questions from me. And we had yeah. a great, great uh, rapport between us. And, you know, we all miss him dearly. Yeah, this is the problem. We miss him so much. But uh, it, um, it always worried me because I, I saw Carl. He, he dined with us um, a couple of days before he actually died. And it, it troubled me because... One would think that as a medium, I would have seen that he was going to terminate his own life. He obviously had planned it for some time, and I didn't. All that I saw was Carl being in his dark room and being slightly depressed. But it always worries me about people who are hypersensitive or people with a history of psychological problems, why they get involved in the paranormal, because it's not healthy from a psychological point of view. And it does throw people over the edge sometimes because they've only got to be caught in a dark moment, um, whether they're hearing voices or feeling that they're being drawn into a dark situation. And very recently, in, which has nothing to do with mediumship, but a few weeks ago in, in Cornwall, a very much-loved priest who was known in the community for helping people and I've, seen, I've been to his church in Petrox, in Padstow. He actually threw himself off a cliff and committed suicide. Now, I think, well, the people that he preached to, the older generations who he helped through bereavement and through all their traumas, what did they feel about him terminating his own life? Because he was seen the day before, a couple of days before, and he was full of the joys of spring. Now, we know something can break in the, in the mind to precipitate this particular um, suicide. I actually have always... an interest, interesting theory on that, Billy. I mean, it's, yeah. 
uh, as a medium, it's a different way of looking at that. You know, a lot of times people, good people do horrible things, right? And if you don't go want to go the, the demonic way or, or thing else, just think at it this way. What if the soul, human soul exists after death, okay? That's, I mean, that's what we're always investigating and trying to find out. So all human souls, that means people who are good and people who are really, really nasty and evil. And what if that uh, ability of a soul to trans-channel to a, a, a living human being and cause them to do something that you wouldn't normally do. It, it is a possibility, if you look at it that way, it's not a demonic possession. But I know channelers. I know people who have spirit in them and don't even remember anything that happens when they're in them. Uh, Maureen Wood, when I wrote the book, Ghost Chronicles, where the, the parts that, that that she actually transitioned the deep ones, I had a right because she didn't remember a thing on it. So, I mean, that's an interesting possibility why a person who is good and everything, maybe there is some type of a function in the brain uh, that for some particular reason, whether it's ultrasound or it's uh, awakening or whatever it is, it opens the spirit to come into someone else's body. I mean, what, what's your thought of that? I mean, it's, I know it's totally off the wall because I just made it up right now. But uh, <laughs> it, it's it's an interesting concept, though, that, uh, you know, if you believe in life and after death, it, it, and if you believe that people can't trans-channel, I mean, it's it's not that big of a leap. But, you see, the thing is, I mean, I it's common knowledge that was in my autobiography. But I, I, um, I was originally a musician when I left school, and I... I had a, an addiction. I was I became a heroin addict for for seven years, mm-hmm. and my life nearly came to an end. Now, at that point, people say to me, "Well, where was your mediumistic? Where were your mediumistic um, skills?" Yeah. They were still there. They were channeled into the creative areas of my life. But I think we are influenced by dark forces. People who haven't dealt with an addiction, be it alcohol or, or drugs or debauchery. If they haven't dealt with the problem before they pass into the supersensual universe when they die, they don't have access to drugs anymore or alcohol or people, um, but they can influence the minds of people who are in dark places. Now, it sounds a bit far-fetched and fanciful, but anybody who's involved in any kind of spiritual um, profession, anybody who's... Uh, whether they're meditating to heighten their awareness or sitting in a so-called development circle, they're, they're sort of beacons of light. And there, are, there is a stage before, just before the, the faculties that begin to uh, open, before the chakras are precipitated, when any individual is open to the lower astral world, and the, there are vagabonds in the astral world, some of whom have never had an earthly existence. These are just energies of a negative form, and they can influence, they can prey on people who are weak. And we are only as strong as our weakest thoughts. And we all have devils within us, and there are times when the devil sits on the throne and will influence us, and most of us are able to overcome that. But I well, do this, believe... I have to interrupt you there because we have to take a break right now. They're playing the music. Right. Okay, we'll be right back. You're listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Steve Foss and Cal Cooper and Ron Kolick and our special guest, Billy Roberts, uh, right here on Tochinet Parrox Ghost Channel and Beyond. We'll be right back 
after the following messages. Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place and oasis in this hectic world. And I'm the lead investigator of East Bridgewater's Most Haunted. And we'd like to invite you to tune in. Ghost Chronicles, the next generation. Every Wednesday night. At 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on www.toginet.com. So, so yeah, what are they going to hear on this stupid show? What are they going to hear? They are going to hear things that they can't believe are happening. Like uh, Beyond Bizarre. And Cemetery Tripping. Oh, that's your deal, right? Absolutely. Yeah, one of these days you're going to get so scared of one of these cemetery tripping things that uh, I'll have to get a new (laughs) co-host. I am brave beyond belief. Yeah, we'll see. scares me. So anyways, if you're bored and you got nothing to do on Wednesday night, tune in to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Dan and Ron. See you then. back. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Steve Parsons, Cal Cooper, and Ron Kolick, and our very special guest, Billy Roberts. A uh, couple of things I do want to mention. If, don't forget to tune in tomorrow night at uh, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for Ghost Chronicles Next Generation, when we will have Dr. Bauman, who uh, has written several books on quantum spirituality and uh, astral projection and all that cool stuff but anyway uh you, you know it's an interesting thing uh, billy said something before the break before i turn this back over to, to cal is that um he says we really don't understand the brain and we think we do a lot of scientists do but we're always learning more about it because i i just recently read of course is that 
when uh, we have our deep sleep, for instance, that's the time for our brain to take all the things it's learned in a day and then actually file them away in the little plates uh, so that they can recall them uh, later on. So uh, we're always learning stuff. I mean, it's kind of a cool thing. So anyway, without further ado, Cal. Yes, Cal. That that is just one theory, though, of what dreams are. To be honest, dreams are probably the most unknown process of the brain out of them all, really. We don't really know what they are. People thought there was um, psychoanalytical reasons behind them, like uh, Freud thinking there was hidden meanings. Some people believe that there's symbols relating to things in our waking life. Others could be premonitions. Others could be um, offloading storage of information that we don't need. Or dreams could just be dreams. So... You, you just mentioned that, that we don't really know what the brain's doing. I'd say dreams are probably the most mysterious of uh, most of the processes going on. Yeah, but, but, but they're talking guys, about this guys, in the deep guys, sleep phase. Before we, before we go on to dreams, can we, can we just come back to something that, that uh, Billy said? Um, yes, sir. I, I'm surprised nobody's picked up on it yet because uh, it struck me as, you know, Cal's just talked about how dreams are very, you know, misunderstood, uh, unknown. Mm-hmm. We don't, you know, we can't quantify what they are yet. And yet, you know, we've all just sat there uh, while Billy has just told us that there are spirits uh, and unborn, you know, never lived a life, um, and that mm-hmm. these can possess people and affect people. And yet that's, you know, <laughs> I mean, that's an equally uh, unproven uh, piece of yeah, but it's a belief. There's, it's a belief, it's, Steve. It's, it's, it's one a, person belief. Well, you know, I, I I believe that the moon's made of cheese. Um, or so <laughs> well, that's your belief, too. No, but you see, you see, we're just blindly accepting somebody's word. I'm sorry, Billy, but you know, we just blindly right. accept the word of somebody as be because you know, and it's the same when we go on investigations with with some mediums. In fact, most groups do it. They go out, they take a medium out into onto a, an investigation site, and they are led and dragged around by the medium. And this this you know this was repeated on. on countless television shows where the medium leads the investigation around and about and tells them what's happening, where to look, what to look for, what's being said, what the spirits are doing. And it's, you know, it's just hearsay, isn't it? You know, we're, we're, we're just accepting this without question. And we should, I believe, be questioning it. No, I, I don't think I've... I haven't accepted what anyone's saying. I've, I've just asked questions. I need to clarify no, I was that. Just, I, I was just saying that, you know, we, we accept these, you know, these things almost blindly. Um, well, you know, well, we're, me- we're, accepting, we're accepting someone's point of view, is, and that's what yeah, we're accepting, Stephen. But, but equally valid is the point of view of every other person who's, who's, in, who's you know, lives in the building, works in the building, right. uh, is, is, is participating in the investigation, because they could all, equal, they all equally have a perspective, a point of view, and an experience that needs to be documented. And just mm-hmm. because somebody says, hey, guys, I'm psychic, doesn't mean that they should be given any more you know, credence than, than any other person. As, as, you know, as, as Billy and I were talking about earlier with Carl, Carl pointed out that he was just a human being too. And I think we overlook that when we're doing investigations. I think it's very, very easy to get blinded to the fact because somebody says or claims that they're psychic that they have any sort of special abilities when it comes to determining whether a a location or an experience is paranormal or otherwise. There you go. It wasn't really clear in the way that I said it, but as I said, with like testing people, that's why we don't ever take mediums into the lab just because they say they've got an ability. That's... 
you know, we, we won't blindly accept that. But no, surely, we, me, I, 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 sorry, Billy, go on. Sorry, go on, um, Steve. No, I, I was just, I have this frustration, um, you know. I noticed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm quite happy to work with psychics and mediums, and I'm quite, you know, uh, you know, always have done, always, always probably will do. But it's an interminable frustration to see groups forming and have a resident psychic. You know, there's no resident sceptic or resident... Well, I agree with you there. I mean, I totally agree, and this is the way I think. And I, I don't know whether you, you're casting aspersions at me or, or, or what. No, 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 no. He's, he's talking no, in general, no, Billy. I'm just having to go at mediums. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, do, I, I really appreciate what you're saying, and this is what I said earlier on about paranormal groups and and I, I'm often asked to, to, to be, as, be a guest with, with paranormal groups, and I can never see the point, because unless what you say can be substantiated, confirmed in some way, then it's useless. Um, so, so you're right in that regard. Um, I, I think it's all pointless. Uh, but when I was talking, I mean, it's, it's an axiom of physics that no two bodies of matter can occupy the same space at the same time. But we know, don't we, that millions of vibrations can and do exist in the one space without interfering with the other. Television waves, radio waves. Yeah, absolutely. The television waves only become um, a picture when they make contact with the medium of the television and likewise with the, the radio waves. What, what I found in, in Cornwall particularly, um, it's, a, it's a different environment altogether. And most of the par because most of it's surrounded by water, but most, the par most paranormal Hotspots seem to be damp areas because I, I don't know why it is. And it's because talking about apparitions, I, I think seeing an actual entity objectively where a group can see somebody who a uh, discarnate spirit is very, very rare. What we're actually seeing, as the Russians call it, bioplasmic energy. We have a bioplasmic body that we release this all through our lives, particles of it. And if somebody, if, say, Steve um, expired at this moment with a massive heart attack, wherever <laughs> he is, <I'd, laughs> praise God you will not. But um, at that moment uh, of death, you would release a surge of, of this bioplasmic energy, w which would impregnate the atmosphere. And probably today, in next, on this date, next year, or whenever, somebody, some sensitive can come along and will see you you might not have any intelligence. It's just a, an impregnation in the atmosphere. What, what do you call it? The stone tape phenomenon. But I, That's I what Richard calls, yeah. A lot, lot of these entities don't have any awareness. And true spirits, pe people who... I, I don't believe there are many earthbound spirits. There's always a way into the light, as they say. But spirit, the astral people, discarnate, disembodied souls... They're walking through and around us, unaware of our presence, just as we are unaware of theirs. And the mistake a lot of mediums make is that they refer to the spirit world as a place, and it's not a place. It has nothing whatsoever to do with places. It's a condition or transcendental state. And I believe that I'm going to be alive when I die, but I don't believe in the spiritualistic sense where I'm going to be reunited with all my loved ones and live in a house Sorry, and have an just... angelic existence. I don't believe that. 
But Billy, aren't you contradicting hundreds, possibly thousands of other mediums and spiritualists who say the exact opposite? You know, my oh, shelves here are lined with books about spiritualism, hopefully, which say that, that, there is, that there is another life beyond, and you will meet your loved ones, and you will live on and develop, you know, in the next level. So you're saying, uh, you know, that's your belief, and I respect that entirely. But it's a belief that isn't shared by, by countless other people who, ha- who claim to have the same or similar abilities to yourself, is it? What? Yeah, I, yeah I, I'm trying. So I right? am disagreeing. It, it's only my belief, and it's, it's what I've... It's the point I've arrived yeah. at. I'm 66 now, and I've been working yeah. over 30 years yeah. as a medium. But on the great protest, I did the spiritualist circuit. I understand that mediumship, the object of mediumship, is to prove the continuity of the soul by giving a bereaved person um, evidence that their husband or whoever is still very much alive. I do believe that what I'm doing is right, but my conception of the spirit world, because of my own experiences, and they are subjective, are not a spiritualist, um, spiritualist medium's um, idea of, of spirit, the spirit world or mediumship. I mean, in Buddhism, they call the spirit world the first stage uh, of transition, they call it karma loka, which is the resembling place. This is the place we go to, which is very gentle, um, because the soul may not be uh, accustomed to um, uh, uh, being in a different place away from their loved ones. So they go to a, a very surreal environment. But they also believe that we transcend this environment when we've, our consciousness has grown, and we go to a place called Divachan, the Divachanic Plains, which is the land of the gods. And this is pure experience where they believe you lose your individuality. And in some ways, I, I, I accept that. I believe, I, I find it very difficult to accept the spiritualist concept of the spirit world. And mediumship, I, I don't use my mediumship in the way I used to because I feel sometimes a little bit uncomfortable with it, standing in a spiritualist church, um, giving messages to, to people. It's, it's very difficult for me, but it's just the way I've developed. And I do disagree with a lot, but I'm not here to, to argue with anybody. No, it's okay. not. It's, not, it, it's, um, it's the frustration from my perspective is that we have these contradictions. We have them in terms of field investigations also. Um, mm-hmm. There is no consistency. And this is, the great, I think, the great problem with, with psychical research because we, we, we deal with, I mean, for example, Eileen Garrett, uh, who was a, you know, a very well-respected medium and also one who, like yourself, was deeply interested in trying to understand the psychology of mm-hmm. the effects upon the medium. And yet her take on it is radically different than your own. Um, and we yeah. are faced with these frustrations. And well, it, it, you, it's, it's like trying to explain to a primitive man who's never tasted anything sweet what sweet things taste like. It's very difficult. We all have our own perceptions of things. Yeah. There was one um, geologist, he said that a lot of paranormal phenomena, yeah. or much of it, um, is produced by triboluminescence, a geological phenomenon caused by friction of minerals or crystals below Earth. And if you, you have a, um, something like a temporal lobe epilepsy, and you're around anything that's to do with triboluminescence, it can actually precipitate an hallucinogenic experience. So you can see paranormal things. Um, they, they believe, a lot of the people believe that um, St. Paul was a, an epileptic. 
and the blinding light on the road to Damascus was uh, an epileptic seizure that transformed his life. And I think we, we all have experience. Even if you talk to a skeptic, I get them in my shows or workshops, and they'll come up to me and they'll say, you don't believe in all that rubbish, do you? And I'll say, not really, no. And then they'll say, but there was this one time when, and I find that skeptics even have an experience. They have a story to tell. And what you're saying, really, and it's true, and I said this in Psychology of a Medium, anecdotal accounts of a person's experience are very unreliable. And, and this is basically what I'm saying. We can't take what people say, because people tend to embellish their experiences. It's human nature to do that. And I, I have great difficulty, really. Um, I, I know what I see. I'm a, a clear audience medium, and I know what happens to me when, when I work. And, and that, that's what makes me question other people's mediumship, because it is questionable. A lot of it is, anyway. But it's not wrong, surely it's not wrong for us to question mediums, though, is it, Billy? No, it isn't, um, Steve. It isn't. Yeah, I mean... I mean Let's not forget Cal. We've got to get Cal in here, too. So uh, <laughs> as far as the, uh, you know, I know Cal had a couple of questions I do want to get in before the end of the show, which is rapidly approaching, believe it or not. They're not as important as the debate we're having now, so carry on, Steve. <laughs> okay, all right. No, I just didn't want, I mean, you could have had some earth-shattering questions that I overlooked. No, 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 I'll come in on this debate soon. I, I've got a few things that are developing out of this. Please continue. Go on. No, I'm, can I, I'm, I'll just tell you I a very, very quick I story. Um, for me, it, um, it's to do with my son. Um, he was then three years old, but when he was six years old, six months old rather, um, I oh no earlier than that, um, I had a friend called um, uh, Baxter, Nellie Baxter. She was a, a, an elderly medium, and she always, um, if ever I passed their house, I would call him for a cup of tea. Particularly if I had a few problems, she'd always put the world to right for me. And, and counsel me, which was a good friend. And eventually she died of, uh, she had um, kidney and liver disease. And I, when my son was about three and a half, four, I was driving past Nellie's house. He didn't know this, this lady. And um, I was thinking, if Nellie was alive, I'd call him with my son now, she'd love him. And he turned to me and he said, Daddy, who's Nellie? And I froze and I pulled into the curb and I said, what do you mean? And he said to me, my head is speaking to me. I can hear Nelly, Nelly. I was shocked. And it just so happened, my, my son's, he's 29 now, and he, he's gay. He's a multi-talented musician, but he's also very mediumistically inclined. He's Jewish, but he's very afraid of it. But he had many experiences like that. Now, that doesn't prove survival. It doesn't prove another life. But it certainly shows me that there's some kind of telepathic um, uh, communication taking place between father and son. And mediumship itself is based on telepathy, albeit one of the entities is discarnate. So it's a sort of a, a communication of minds, if you like. But it, it well, really they, doesn't prove survival. Well there, well, there you go. You actually raised a point in itself saying that um, telepathy itself, if it's been produced yeah. by medium, it can rule out the whole prospect of anyone surviving after death. And Absolutely, yeah. whenever on, when someone goes to a demonstration, they're just reading the minds of the sitters. Um, yeah, I, wouldn't go, also, oh, I wouldn't go that far because sometimes the medium can give information to a person and they have to go away and ask an elderly relative about the information. 
and then they will contact the medium later on and have it confirmed. But there is some kind of a, a sort of a, a reservoir, I think, of knowledge uh, that's contained in the bioluminescence, the, the essence of, of an individual. Uh, knowledge that they're not aware of, uh, genetic knowledge that can be transmitted to a medium. So this is another thing that makes me question the process of mediumship and does it prove the continuity of the soul? It certainly proves the brain or the mind is capable of something. But to my mind, it doesn't prove survival. Billy, there are, there are one or two interesting cases, though, aren't there, um, where survival seems to be the only plausible explanation for a given scenario. And I'm thinking here of Eileen Garrett and the R101 um, cases that involved the, the Ehrman, Hinchcliffe, and Irving, yep. who were giving information to Garrett um, through seances. In fact, two other mediums were involved as well. But this information was not known by, by Garrett and indeed was still classified as top secret um, at the time. Now, the information could clearly have not come from any, any other source but, uh, you know, a, 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 a discarnate uh, pilot. I mean, yeah. you know, that, that does rack up uh, in favour of survival. <laughs> I, I understand what you're saying, Steve, but see, this, this is going to confuse you even more. I, I don't believe, if, if survival is a fact, and I think it is a fact, I don't believe that everybody survives. I think people of a certain degree of, uh, of spirituality or intelligence or awareness, call it what you will, they are probably, possibly, they do survive into some other state. But there are certain insignificant individuals. And I'm talking about people oh. who... <laughs> sorry? I can't believe you said that. I'm talking about the, uh, certain low intelligences, people who are sort of malevolent or um, don't have any, don't, don't live above the, the lower chakra, Muladhara. I don't believe that they are strong enough to survive. I do believe entities like Adolf Hitler and his henchmen, I think they, was, they, they are in a group, and I do believe those kind of people, they do survive to uh, exact some kind of malevolence on the world and influence people in power today. Um, <laughs> I don't know whether I'm losing my mind or whether I'm just confusing you even more, but sorry about that. It just sounds oh, yeah. like you're saying that it sounds like ghost hunting with Jeremy Kyle's never going to take place. <laughs> it, sounds, yeah. it sounds very much like psychic eugenics to me. But um, <laughs> if, if it, what I mean, if we if we take the spiritual argument slightly further, and I don't mean the spiritualist argument slightly further, um, there's there's a a universal balance, isn't there? The yin and the yang, and yeah. so therefore, for every good developed spirit that that does progress that does a survival of the fittest um you know surely for balance there has to be uh, an equal proportion of evil um of bad malevolent spirits and let's be honest i mean uh you know our derek um picked up on many many badens if he um during his course on the show. Um, in fact, you were on record in, in the great paranormal clashes as being, you know, highly critical of, of most yeah. haunted. Um, I was, yeah. You know, you know so <laughs> it was, um, you know, we look at that spiritual perspective. Isn't there, isn't there, you know, a case there for this 
uh, Resident Evil, this balance? You know, um, it's a good point you made about uh, my criticising uh, Most Haunted. Um, for, first of all, I don't believe Derek Akora was ever in trance or possessed by anybody. It was all in his own mind. But in one of my, um, in Living with Angels and Demons, the book, I, I talk about uh, films like films like the movies like The um, Omen, uh, Poltergeist, and they seem to have some kind of curse on them. Um, a lot of people who were in, in these movies died tragically. I'm talking about the crew, directors, even some of the film stars, who, the stars who were in these movies, had uh, strings of bad luck, heart attacks, and they died. And even people who were in theaters watching these movies, uh, were believe a high percentage of them died in the, in the cinemas. So I do think... Uh, uh, things like Most Haunted, and I've said this to Fred Batt, who puts him out as a self out as a dermat, dermat, I was going to say dermatologist, demonologist. <laughs> I think I was probably right the first time. I, I think that when you play with something you don't understand, you can create it and empower it. Um, evil is a very insidious force that that's dormant. There's something called um, a clone ball which you find, it's a dormant pocket of energy or focus of energy that you find in places of enjoyment, such as theaters, cinemas, even uh, kindergartens. And this can be precipitated quite innocently by certain individuals, and it can become a sort of a manifestation or a focus, uh, like a poltergeist focus of energy and be very mischievous. And with Most Haunted, for an example, uh, calling up the devil and calling up demons, I found it very distasteful and very uncomfortable. And um, I think they did have a, a string of bad luck, and it's, you know it's not on the television now, and it never will be uh, again. But I do think they created something in their own psyches, and I would not believe for one moment that they haven't had a plague of bad luck, because I know they have. Well, you know, actually, you mentioned that. Uh, you, well, I know we're just about out of time, but I, you mentioned Most Haunted, and, and of course, there's this new page out now, Most Haunted Next Generation, supposedly coming out this year. Mm-hmm. I'll believe it when I see it, Ron. Uh-huh. But you know, you know, one interesting thing, Billy, and I, and I know in the Paranormal Clash, I, it dawned on me when when uh, Steve brought it up. He said, uh, you know, you know, uh, one of the things you were asked is why did you expose yourself to TV uh, and all the criticism, and and you said I, I did it for a friend. Is that? I mean, is that the only reason? Well, I was I was quite friendly with um, with Karen at the time, but no, that wasn't the reason. Because I'm a, a columnist for the Psychic News, and b- before it was a, a magazine, and I was very critical of Most Haunted for, for a long time. I didn't hide it at all. I didn't make any beans about it. So when um, Carl Beatty invited me along to take part, I was very interested because I wanted to know if what went on behind the scenes was genuine. I doubted it very much, mm-hmm. and I, w- I was right. Plus the fact they paid well. I'm, I'm <laughs> there you go. Yeah. You know what? We we are out of time, guys. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah, you know, it's like, there it goes. <laughs> uh, anyways, you've been listening. Go, you've been listening, Ghost Chronicles International with uh, Calc. Hello. Hello. Steve, you've got time quick before Ron comes back. Ask the question. <laughs> no, no. I mean. It, 
basically, is there anybody there? Billy's, yeah, is there anybody there? Um, I was just going to ask him about the book where he worked with, with Kieran, uh, The Great Paranormal right. Clash, um, yeah. and you know, how, how he found that. Well, we, we, it wasn't called that originally. It was called The Scientist and the Clairvoyant. Um, and it really didn't go as we, we planned it, because we, we did intend it to be more aggressive as sort of a, a confrontation of ideas, but we ended up a lot of the ways agreeing with each other. Um, so it didn't come out the way we, we wanted it to. And the stage show was even less as we wanted it. That's why it had a very short shelf life. Yeah. I, I mean, but, what, do you th what do you think of Psychic and Science then, uh, with Derek and Richard? Derek and Richard. Well, they were I mean, I, 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 get the, I get the Psychic. It's the science part that I haven't figured out yet. Uh, no one's going to that ever. <laughs> no. Um, I'm, I'm just, I'm just trying to take the time down here. I'm sorry, sorry? Uh, Billy, we don't have um, a producer at the moment because Ron's fallen off the perch. I know you perch. don't. Yeah, they're, they're so taking them away. We don't know how long <laughs> we've got. I'm, I'm trying to do this by wristwatch and estimating we've got about 90 seconds. Yeah, oh, yeah. Right, that's it. So, Billy, um, is there anything you'd like to, uh, what, what's, what's coming up for you? And do you want to give people a link to your website once again? Yeah, it's, it's billyroberts.co.uk. And I've got five books were published last year, and I've got two coming out this year with Llewellyn. Um, one, it's called The Nardi Technique. That's just about energy and self-healing. That'll be out in July. And any other f uh, upcoming events or...? Um, well, we've got um, Living with Angels and Demons, which is on later on in the year on Channel 4. Um, and it's being aired in, in America as well. Fantastic. Cal, any last minute thoughts? I can hear the beat. I can hear the beat. No, I can hear the beats. Do you want to close it down, Steve? I'm just um, very grateful. Well, thanks thanks for coming on, Billy. Yeah, my yeah, pleasure, Cal. Thanks and to our great our fantastic guest tonight for some interesting debate. And also to Ron, wherever he went uh, <laughs> in the great paranormal world. And we'll we'll be back next week, hopefully, uh, with Ron. Uh, so good night. Goalies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.